This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. So today on IFS Talks, we're interviewing and talking to Pam Krause. Pam Krause is a senior lead trainer for the Center for Self-Leadership and has been leading level one and level two training since 2005. Pam adapted the IFS model for use with children and adolescents and has created both on-site and online trainings on the topic. Anna Gomez and Pam co-authored the chapter EMDR Therapy and the Use of Internal Family Systems Strategies with Children in EMDR Therapy and Adjunct Approaches with Children. Pam also authored a chapter on IFS with children and adolescents in internal family systems therapy, New Dimensions, and co-authored a chapter called Getting Unstuck in the 2017 book, Innovations and Elaborations in IFS, which addresses occasional ruptures and impasses in our work with IFS. Pam also has a private practice in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, Pam, thank you so much for being with us today and speaking with us. Oh, you're welcome. And thank, thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Pam. How, how is it for you, Pam, to hear this bio? What parts can I <laughs> Yeah, wow, a gazillion of them. The very first thing, if you, want, if you want to hear the truth, is I start to feel really old. Like, wow, I've been doing this for that long? So that, <laughs> that happens for me. But... Um, yeah, it's it's like a nice reflection for me on the more than 20 years since I started using this model and how important it's been for me not only in my work but in my personal life. So And you really stick with the with the model once you met him. Yeah, you know, I um I came to therapy. I have to think it was like maybe my if you count the little stint where I was a stay-at-home mom for a couple of years, it's like my fourth profession. And so I didn't come to it. I didn't get my, um, I'm a social worker and I didn't get my MSW till I was, I think, 41 or something. And right after that, I found IFS. And so it was, um, I didn't, I wasn't trained in a whole bunch of different models of therapy and when I found IFS, it just it just made so much sense to me. It gave language to everything that I had been feeling internally for a long time. And so once I found IFS, I I was hooked. That was that was my model. That's what made sense to me. Tell us a little bit more. How did how did that happen? How did you get into the IFS training? Yeah, it's a it's a sort of a weird story. Um, uh, well, I live in central Pennsylvania and I was doing, uh, do you guys know Hakomi training? It's a, yep. okay. Well, I I'm was gorgeous. taking, yeah, I was taking a seven month Hakomi training, which was not, I liked it, but I wasn't quite making sense of it. And so, but one of my instructors, a guy named Greg Johansson had met Dick and had, was starting to collaborate with Ralph Cohen, who is, um, in Connecticut at Central Connecticut State University. And Ralph and Greg decided they wanted to invite Dick to come to Connecticut to teach IFS. And at that point, Dick was only teaching in Chicago. So they talked him into coming to Connecticut and Greg 
at one of my Hakomi weekends, hands me this flyer and I read the flyer and I, I don't know why, but I just said, I have to be there. And so I drove five and a half hours to Connecticut to do this training. Yeah. I just knew I had to be there. I don't know why, but I did. And I was, you know, I was, I was glad I did, but something, something inside told me to go do that. So. How did that training feel? What was it like to be there that early stage? Um, yeah, it was, um, it was really different than it is now. Um, just because, you know, now there's so much interested in IFS. Um, back then it was like pulling teeth to get people to come to trainings. So there was something about that group. I think there were 35 of us and Dick was the lead trainer and Mitchie Rose was there who was, you know, one of the early, one of uh, Dick's early collaborators with IFS. And there was something, I don't know, uh, sort of like that pioneer spirit, I guess. There was something about it. Like everybody who was there was really excited to be there. And it was really the um, early, early days. Really early days. I mean, this was 1998. You know, so Dick had had only written, I think he wrote Internal Family Systems Therapy, just was published just a few years before that. So it was new, new, new. So he, he started in Connecticut and also in Asheville, um, uh, North Carolina at the same time he started these two trainings. So it was fun. It was a very, very, very collegial kind of thing. Yeah. Was there some of the same structure in that training with the demos and the practice? And yes. Well, it was slightly different, but mostly you know, it was six weekends. It was a little longer weekend than we have now, a few more hours. Um, and and we, yeah, it was, it was virtually the same thing with a few minor changes, but you know, it's gotten much more structured over time. You know, Dick just sort of came and did his thing back then and we covered whatever topic we covered in a given weekend. And, you know, then as we all probably in the early 2000s, we really came up with a specific curriculum for the level one where we did different topics, different weekends, like we do it now. So it sounds like you, you saw that flyer, you went, and it landed. And that's, what, that's the groove that you've been in. Ever yeah. since, yeah. yeah. So I'm very boring. I'm not trained in, in many other things, so. <laughs> except for Hakomi. Anyway, anyway that is, for you, as for many others, IFS trainers and practitioners, there is a before and an after IFS, like if it was a stepping stone in, in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I said this once a few years ago, like um, I was doing one of the IFS online things and someone sent in a question like, you know, how has this changed your life? You know, and, and I'm, I'm pretty clear that without IFS, I probably, I've been married for 37 years. I'm pretty sure I would not have been, I, you know, that that wow. would have lasted. I'm pretty sure both of my kids would not like me very much right now if I <laughs> if I hadn't found IFS. So personally, it it changed my life. And you know, professionally, I just I don't know what I would have done without it. It um, it would be different. <laughs> it would be so. It gave me so much structure to be able to help people, right? 
without having those overactive parts of us that really want to help. You know, I have, I have parts that took me into being a therapist because they really wanted to help people. And boy, those parts can get so worn out. And, and IFS just gave me a structure to be able to help people without having to, um, without having those parts have to take over and then feeling resentful when it didn't work or sad when it didn't work or, you know, any variety of things. So, Have you ever done some IFS work personally, meaning therapy and IFS therapy? <laughs> oh, many times. <laughs> in fact, I think I started working with an IFS therapist in weekend three of my initial training. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've worked with uh, probably four or five different people over the years. I've done a lot of individual work with my parts. I've done some couples work with my husband, with a couple of different IFS therapists. I'm asking because myself, mm -hmm. I, I also can understand how, how IFS impacted my professional life, yeah. but how it impacted my personal life once I had some work myself. It's a huge difference, really. You know, and I also think, you know, I tell my students this a lot. Like, we can teach the basics of the model. But the really deep learning comes when you learn about your own parts and those internal connections. For me, you know, understanding my own parts in the, in the way that I do really helps me feel much more compassionate for my clients' parts and for, you know, parts in, in my friends and my family. So it's a deep, it just deepens it so much when you have that in own internal experience of it. But you came from a tradition, uh, an ACOMI um, um, practice and training, I believe, and also mm -hmm. I understood that you practice other modalities like uh, EMDR. I don't. I don't practice EMDR. I. Um, the past. Yeah, I wrote. I co-wrote that chapter <laughs> with Ana Gomez. <laughs> And just presented at an EMDR conference on kids over the summer. But um, I never took the EMDR training. You know, I've read a lot about it and I have a basic understanding about it. But her, you know, that whole book was about using EMDR with other yep. therapies, mm -hmm. right? And so it was, it was a combination of, I was the IFS component of that chapter. But, you know, and I was, I was really taught in a more psychodynamic way. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I came out of, I came out of my training more psychodynamically focused, which I'm sure I would have burned out on because that that's such a heavy load. You know, it's so intellectual in some <laughs> ways and having to understand everything and figure everything out uh, that, yeah, it was not a model that really resonated with me. So you, you are not combining anymore uh, uh, IFS with other modalities at all, or you do it? Well, I don't know if I would say that because especially like, you know, when I work with kids, um, there are some uh, tools in cognitive behavioral therapy that are really helpful. Okay. But if you mm -hmm. utilize them from an IFS perspective, it's very different, right, than if you're um, utilizing it strictly from a CBT perspective. So I think I, I think what's happened for me is even though I'm not trained in a lot of other models, um, I've done a lot of reading about other models. And, and to me, it feels like IFS is the backbone. 
and I can pick and choose um, interventions from other models of therapy that can and inform deliver them through. Yes, that can inform the IFS. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, mainly with with children and adolescents, that can be that can be so useful because, um, yeah, doing clinical work with this group, these children and adolescents, it requires so much more, so much more in many ways. Yeah, and especially even when you're working with kids and adolescents, I think a lot about the parents, right? And part of what happens when you're working with with what I would call dependent children is they live in an environment with parents. And as you're as you're healing a child, right, or even an adult, protectors are going to come out, right? Firefighters are going to get more active when you're doing work with an exile. And so if I'm working with a child or adolescent, their, their protectors are going to come up and there has to be some way for the parents to manage that behavior, right? Because what's happening in my office is okay to happen in there, but you know, some, some protectors are pretty, can be pretty aggressive, you know, cannot be very welcome in the outside world. And so to give parents uh, a way to be able to be open to parts, but manage behavior, you know, I pull a lot from um, uh, behavior, other behavior management programs and adapt them to the IFS yeah, model. but they inform IFS. Know. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we kind of have to be able to pull on that stuff. Mm -hmm. Has working with children and adolescents always been one of your clinical interests, or did that grow out of your your IFS work? It actually happened by accident for me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Um, I, I know it's very weird. Yeah, uh, my 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 first internship as an as a when I was in graduate school was at an inpatient child psych unit oh. and so I first uh, yeah and so you know I was seeing you know the the most troubled kids you know that that you could see there and so I got a little interest in kids and then the next year my next internship they knew that I had done some work with kids so they started giving me all the kids it was in an agency so I started getting all the kids and I'm like well what am I going to do with this right and then right after that I started IFS and and I I just kept getting all these kid referrals and um I kept thinking, I gotta, I gotta find a way to adapt this to that. Like I remember saying to Dick, who else is using IFS with kids? I need someone to help me with nobody, this. And nobody. he goes, you know, <laughs> nobody was. That's exactly what I, was. I don't know. Nobody is. And he goes, just just go and listen to them. Yeah. You know, like like he was saying, this is what I did. You know, I just listened and you'll figure it out. So I just started listening and figuring it out and And, and also, and also, Dick says that he also learned the model with adolescents. Am I saying well somehow? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were later adolescents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, later. they were they were young women with eating disorders. So you know, and so these kids really knew what they were doing. And I just, it's really easy. I think for me, it was easy to experiment with kids because I didn't my my parts didn't feel so judged by them, you know, like I could try something and if it didn't work, I just try something else, you know, they kind of roll with it. 
And so they, they taught yes. me a lot. And, um, and I think I helped a bunch of them too along the way, which is a good thing. I believe so. I believe so. And you keep doing it, right? You know what? I'm just, have just stopped working with kids. What? Yeah. Well, because. Why so? Because, it, you know, the, it's, it's a, a, a very old story. Um, I started working with kids myself. Yeah. 15 years, um, I don't know, 50 years ago. 50 years. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I know so many of my colleagues that, that were specializing in kids and adolescents yeah. and um, past maybe 10, 15 years, they stop. Yeah. Um, everyone stops. I'm, 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 I'm puzzled what, what's, what's happening. Well, don't, I, you know, here's the thing. I love working with the kids. I absolutely adore it. I especially love adolescents. I mean, you know, nobody, hardly anybody likes working with adolescents, but I love working with adolescents. I just find them, I don't, I just love them, but it's hard. It's hard because the families are involved, you know, and a lot of times that the things that I know would work if these parents could just do it, you know, would help their children so much. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know, we don't always we don't always have the opportunity to work with families who can confront some of the stuff that they need to confront. And then that, and then, you know, we still, we can, we can make a lot of change with the kids, but there's big chunks of work that can't be done if, if you can't work through the whole family. If yeah. Parents. Yeah. And the family is, yeah. is not and I, I, I think to do for it. me, that was one thing. If the environment is still unsafe or there's, there's constant need for protectors to be there. Exactly. You know, like if, if parents, if parents can't have difficulty getting curious about the parts of them that are impacting their children and have created burdening in their children, as long as those parts are still around, it, it really limits, it limits the um, change that a, a kid can make until they're no longer dependent on on their parents financially. So for me, I think that was part of it. I just... Um, so some level of feeling as though it was a bigger system at play with the family. And then I'm sure you're also um, pretty occupied with being a, an IFS trainer. There's a lot of trainings on online. There are a lot of trainings and, you know, in the last, you know, that's the good news. It's way different than it was 21 years ago when I first started. Now, you know, they just announced a new training in New York and it filled in less than two days. Wow. Just people are so interested in doing these trainings. And so there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teaching to do. So I've been pretty busy over, over the last probably four or five years, really doing a lot of a lot of teaching. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. Um, you are a lead trainer for CSL for how long? Since 2005. So almost 15 years now. Almost 15 years. Yes. Yeah. How did that journey happen, going, going from, from 98, taking the training, to 
Yeah. Um, Dana. Well, you know, I finished, I finished up my training in Connecticut and I was, I was talking with uh, Dick and Ralph Cohen and I said, Oh, it's such a bummer that I'm finished. I really love this. And, you know, they're all just starting out. They will come back and be an assistant. We've decided we're going to have program assistants. So I started being a program assistant in Connecticut. I did that four times, I think. And then you know, the more I was around the bottle, the more I learned, the more I learned. And then I became an assistant trainer. And, um, and back again, back then, there weren't many places to train, you know, nobody was really that interested. So I really wanted to train. So I got a whole bunch of people interested in the New York City area, right? Because I live about three hours from New York. And so I was calling people on the phone and trying to get them to come and do this training. So we got a training started in New York, right outside of New York City. And I was the assistant trainer for that. And then after that, um, I became a, a lead trainer. So was it a, f- a fast, a fast process? Because today, nowadays, is a long process. No, it was. It was. It was five years until I became. No, six years, 1998 to 2004, and then the net 2005. So it was like seven years. We're trying to shrink that time down because it is it's long and expensive. But maybe necessary too because it's, it can be complex. IFS can be so simple but right. also so complex right. in many ways. So there's a certain amount of on-the-job training you have to do. I mean, you know, they're just you just have to assist in a certain number of level one trainings just so you you know so much comes up we get confronted by so much stuff because we you know we invite people to call on their own parts or their own internal material when they're doing these trainings and so of course everybody gets activated and activated parts come at staff members right so um and firefighters you know that was a great thing about teaching in new york early on everybody was just like there were so many firefighters so i had i and i think that one of the reasons i was good at working with these firefighters is because i worked with so many adolescents and they're just like filled with firefighters so i got really used to having firefighters come at me and not take it personally so (laughs) plus i had two adolescent boys at the time and uh I learned it quickly. Firefighters are fun. <laughs> They are fun for sure. Yeah. And so the trainings for you at the time were pretty much the same that they are now. You had the, the lecturing, the demos, the large group sharings, yeah. the, med- yeah. the practice groups, all, all, all was already there. All was already there, yeah. And how would you like to see the trainings or if there is something in the trainings that you would like to see develop or change, any evolution you would like to see in the trainings? You know, that's a really interesting question. I haven't thought so much about that in terms of um, the actual trainings. Although I could say, you know, there are some people who ask us why we don't go to just online trainings, right? Like, can't you do this online? Because so many things are taught online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right. um, I I don't think that would work for IFS because there is such the experiential component, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, could some of the, you know, it, it could be mm-hmm. 
I think what would be interesting would be to try to create a hybrid, right? Some online learning, some in-person learning, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so that um, mm-hmm. maybe the maybe the training weekends could be a little shorter or a little fewer because it is it is expensive, you know. It's an expense. They're expensive trainings yeah. to run, and it does, you know. Um, I think it would make I think it would make IFS much more acceptable accessible for populations where it's not so accessible right now. So mm-hmm. that that could be an interesting thing to consider to make it more affordable. Yeah, you've been participating with the IFS circle, is that right? And yes, yeah. So that's sort of a, an introduction. A really good introduction, and is there an experiential component there? And how has that experience been for yeah, you? So the IFS circle, Tony Herbine Blank and I created. I think we're in the, I can't remember if we're in the fourth or fifth year of the program now. But it is, uh, we we think it's really good, a really good introduction to the model. And there's a tiny bit of experience, but it's just some meditations that we do with them. Um, I do in one of the week, one of the months we do a parts mapping thing, Mm. but it's not, they can't practice, you know, they can't, they don't have that, um, opportunity in the circle. So I think for what we're finding is that a lot of people are taking the circle and then they're coming into, if they really like it, they're coming into the level one trainings. So people are coming in much more prepared. Than they ever were than they ever were before. So less skeptical parts. Yes, way more fewer skeptics. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. Yeah. More lectured, but but not necessarily more related right, to the model. Right. So you know, it's a it's and it, I don't know now that now that you asked me that other question a few minutes ago, like that maybe that's a way to shift. You know, put have some mm-hmm. online component and then do the you know maybe not have to review all the stuff, you know, in the level one and um, go right into the experiential stuff. Now you've got me thinking. Now I'm going to have to talk to the folks at the Institute. (laughs) Oh, good. I just stole an idea from somebody. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so. It was your idea. But, you know, even even the the demos, the demos when you have a, a... in my opinion, when you have a, a large room full of many, many selves, good presence, it's not the same as a demo online. Um, yeah. Totally. is so different. Even if we can see Dick doing wonderful, but it's Dick doing wonderful demos online, but uh, they somehow are quite different from the demos that Dick does in a large room with yeah. with much more presence and self-present as he used to say he used to say that his work goes better when there is more in the room right. than himself right yeah no it's yeah. a completely so. different experience and you know doing like i think about my times of doing demos in front of the group and it's i i can't even describe it like you really do feel held by all the self energy it's like you're in this little cocoon or bubble in the center of the room and it allows stuff to happen that cannot happen just you know with myself and maybe someone else's self being there also it's so it's really it's a it's a beautiful experience i think yeah 
So we need to keep it and we need to keep meeting each other yeah. and retreat yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. We'll do yeah. that. <laughs> there's something about that connection, you know, there's something that's, that's the thing that's concerning for me about now, you know, there's all this, all this, all these devices, right. And all this social media stuff, you know, it, it really isn't more connecting. It's, it can create, less connection right and so i would i would not like to see the trainees lose all their all their mm -hmm. um, on-site components yeah yeah that that mm -hmm. container of being being a participant yeah. or a pa in a in a training there's nothing else mm -hmm. like it that i've ever experienced where you leave with that vibration of self-energy right. it's it it is so powerful and something that I think a lot of people don't even know is embedded right. until they feel it. Right. And you can't, you can't participate in training without feeling it. Right. It, it's just so present. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple thoughts. One is I think that's why I keep going back, right? Because it's uh, the community that you create and the connections are just, it, you can't put them into words, right? So rewarding, yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And then the second, the second thing is, I often get questions from people who do do the circle, or even before that, would read Dick's book and say, "I've read it, I know it. Why do I need to take the training?" And I remember one woman. I go, "You, you can choose to or not, but you know, you'll. I promise you." you will have a very different experience. You'll learn something here, right? And after about the third, and she was mad at me, right? And she was in the training, like, ah. And like, but after the third weekend, she goes, you were right. This is like, you cannot describe what's happening in this room. And it just creates such a dimension that you would not, right? You would not know you're missing if you weren't there, so. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. Um, how, how does the... Um, I believe there is some interest yet in um, your trainings uh, focused in children and adolescents and parents. But how does this topic changes the training? Because usually the trainings are much more focused on our parts, personal mm -hmm. therapist parts. And when you go to a specific topic, like it fits to us trauma or or children and parents and adolescents, does it changes the way you you do the training? I mean, it becomes much more lecturing than experiential, well, or it it can, but. Um but when I do, when I do, well, so I did a, I did a four month web program on it and on working with, I, yeah, a continuity program for, well, now the IFS Institute. And um, that was a lot more sort of lecture didactic stuff. Right. Um, but when I've done, um, I've done some three-day, two, three-day trainings on IFS with kids. And when I do that, I really try to do it the same way we do any other kind of training. Give them some information. We have a lot of practice involved. Also, a lot of exercises focused on the parts of the therapist that get triggered working with kids, working with the adult system. So, um, 
because I, I really do believe that's the way to learn it. You know, there, we can give you a little bit of information, but then you have to practice it. And then you have to see what's coming up in me because without that, without really knowing that, um, you're not going to get, not going to get too far with the model. Right. So I'm hoping as things settle down a little bit, um, I'd really like to put together like a level two intensive program on working with children and adolescents. Some of the, um, you know, there was, there was pretty significant interest in the, in the continuity program. And so I think I've, I've talked with them some about putting together a level two intensive, and I'd really like to do that in the next year or so. And um, children do, uh, children and adolescents for sure do need much this work, but parents, um, parents, they do need it really, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I think we all need it personally. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my bias. Yeah, but think, thinking of children, children, well, this is my trauma when I, when I worked with children and I left to work with children when I was a psychologist in my beginning, my, my first years. As a psychologist, I loved children, but then parents came yeah. up. And so that's what I'm saying. They need so much help from They this model. They absolutely do. And, you know, I think, I think this is... This can be one of the struggles. Well, I'll speak for me, and it's, it may be true for other people who work with children. But, you know, as I'm working with a child or an adolescent, you know, I, I notice my parts that get really protective around these kids, right? And so then when I meet with their parents, like, I personally can't do family mm -hmm. therapy. My parts get too activated, right? So when I'm working with... Okay. When I'm working with kids, I'll do, I'll work with the child alone and I'll have meetings with the parents. And then once we get far enough, I may do family work, but I can't start out that way because my parts that are protective of the children are so protective. It makes it hard for me to be open hearted with the parents, right? And if I go in that way yes. with a parent, that's not going to help them change. It's not, you know, they're just going to feel shamed or judged or scolded or something. Right. And so it's, so it's easier for strong, strong managers. You know, yeah. Strong and, managers. and you know, these parents, if you can, you know, one of the things that I think about is that, you know, these are just their protectors who have learned to protect in a particular way. Right. And they're reacting to the parts in their kids that you know they have those same parts and it's how they treat their own parts also and so if if i start out with a little bit of space it helps me be much more open-hearted because i do think in the in the whole most parents really do want to do the best by their children you know i know there are some that don't really think about that but a lot do and and if i can hold that then i can also help them more than if i'm protecting their children from them. I was reading a little bit of your, um, your writing about working with kids before the interview. And, and I was, I, I don't know why, but I was surprised to learn that some of the kids you work with are, are great at going inside and doing insight work mm -hmm. and even unburdening. And, um, Yeah, I was I was just sort of delighted to hear that, but also a little bit curious about 
you know, if there's anything that you want to be careful of, or I, 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 I don't know, I guess I felt a little bit protective about ex- exploring, experiencing myself leading children through insight work. Yeah. So that's my own parts came yeah. up, but I was just As curious. Always, right? <laughs> yeah, very welcome. <laughs> yeah, I was I was curious if you you know had any any tips or tricks or if there's if kids in particular that or do you just try it with all of them? Um, geez, let me think about that for a second. Um, you know, I think I think working with kids helped me distinguish a lot between myself and my self-like parts, right? Because it's about if, if I would try to invite a child to do insight from a self-like part, there's a subtle push there, right? There's a subtle message that I want you to do this. Okay. Mm Um, when it's, when I would invite them from a place of more self-leadership, it's kind of like, we can do this or not do that. You know, would you like to do this? And there's no, there's no push at all. It's clear that it's okay if they do, and it's okay if they don't. Right. And so I think, I think that it's all about the invitation, right? The invitation into, and and I would invite most of them. Do you want to do this? Do you want to try this? And they'd be like, someone would be yes. Some of them would be no. And someone just pretend like they never heard me say anything. So, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's about where that invitation comes from. And that's true working with adults also, but somehow, somehow I think I learned to be a, a good IFS therapist, mostly by working with kids. You know, they're much more honest with you, you know, when you go back. Yeah, that's, a, that's oh. Oh, such a good reminder, too, that the work is keeping track of our own parts and really, really being, get, getting access to self and not having the agenda. You know, Dick, Dick started saying something a couple of years, which, which really makes sense to me. And he said, you know, the self has an agenda, too. The self actually wants people to heal. The difference between the self yeah. and parts is that the self is not attached to that agenda, but parts are very attached to their agendas. And that that somehow really resonated with me, right? Yeah. Helps. Yeah. That's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, because you can feel that. Yeah. And I get that question a lot. I feel like, you know, this is me and I would really love for this part to heal. You know, so I'm like, well, is that an agenda? Is that, you know, so anyway, it would take me up into my head to try to figure all that out. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe I've, I mm-hmm. remember, I think I saw it, uh, your office shelf full of toys. Is it possible that I saw it? <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe, uh, I don't know. <laughs> You have one. I do. You have one, right? Yeah, I do. <laughs> have a shelf filled with toys. Yeah. And uh, my question is, if, do you still use them? Because you just say in your wonderful chapters that Insight and Direct Access are two, the two modalities in IFS, but you you found another one, the externalization with kids and adolescents. And I saw that wonderful shelf full of toys of yours. I'm I'm wondering, do you do you keep them? Do you still 
use them. Because um, I saw also, for instance, Barb Cargill doing a wonderful work on externalization mm -hmm. with adults, just with mm -hmm. scarves and, and objects. And you can do it so many ways, but with kids and adolescents, with kids mainly, it's really, really mm -hmm. useful to have this shelf, this good collection of play, kind right. of a play therapy. Right. Uh, yeah, and I do, you know, especially have all these animal figures that I've been collecting for years and years and years and just, I love them. And, um, you know, it's really, it's really, I just use all those toys and all those figures as just as a, a mechanism to either help me do insight or direct access, right? So it's really utilizing that. And, um, you know, folks who use sand trays, you know, they're just externalizing parts, but it's still insight, right? It's still, they're still forming a relationship between themselves and their, their parts. And I think it's, I think it can be really helpful with kids, adolescents, adults. I have a lot of adults who will, you know, externalize their parts either with inanimate objects or animal figures or some like to draw, you know, I've even used clay mm -hmm. with people of all ages, you know, that they can sculpt their parts, um, you know, and, and create whatever kind of image for a part they want. So I think it's really helpful. You know, I'd encourage people to experiment with it with any, with any age. This is IFS Talks, an audio series to deepen connection with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users. So you still love to, I understood you still love to work with children and uh, uh, you, would you say the same for parents? Do you, do you really love to, to talk to work with parents? And so I, I, I'd like to say, maybe to quote you, if I may. Okay. Um, there is this wonderful piece in your chapter that says, let me see. Um, yes. You say, attempting to protect adolescents, parents, teachers, and even therapists try to quell extreme behavior with logic, criticism, anger, punishment, bribery, nagging, or worry. And anytime an adult leads from a part rather than from self, a polarization will develop. Once curiosity is mm -hmm. lost, so is the connection. And this is about our everyday life as parents. <laughs> we lose this connection because we are in some part like the criticism that these worried worried parts that want to to keep our kids and sons and daughters right. in the right place, right. in the right track. You know. So par so parents need it need so much to to know that they are in a part, isn't it? You know, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking about, like, it, it's very different being a therapist and saying all parts are welcome than it is being a parent saying all parts are welcome. Because the, the truth is, in the outside world, not all parts are welcome, right? And so, you know, if our kids, like, you know, I remember my kids as adolescents doing I would say they did adolescence really well and did a lot of 
<laughs> many firefighters around. Many firefighters around. And, and as a parent, I do have a responsibility, right, to help my child not behave in ways that, like, my parts jump to immediately. I'd like you to survive your adolescence, right? I'd like you not to hurt anybody. And I'd like you not to end up in jail, right? So, or, you know, cause kids can do really stupid things. But if I, if I come at them from a manager part, right, all those things that you just read are going to happen. Right. And so I think some of the, even the most important work we can do with parents is helping them find their parts and unblend from them so that they can speak to their children for their parts rather than from their parts. And that's a very different message for a kid, right? They can, you know, to, to say, I remember saying to one of my sons, like I just wanted to yell at him about some stupid thing he did. And I said, you know, I, I, I am afraid that something really bad is going to happen to you. Here are potential consequences right? For what you did. Right. And so I, I would encourage you to think about that. Like when you're, when you're doing these, these, this is not like, I'm not trying to scare you to death, but these are things that could happen if you keep doing that. And you need to know that. And I don't want any of that to happen to you. Right. That's a very different conversation than going after him. So unblending is a huge thing, a, a big tool for parents. Absolutely. Totally. I have a 16-year-old daughter <laughs> and I am so grateful that I have the awareness of of being blended and and being unblended um even with that awareness in many occasions it is incredibly hard to unblend <laughs> with my yeah. with my parts around parenting it it is the the utmost challenge but I can't imagine not having that that tool and yeah. that strategy. Yeah. I would I would blow up our relationship with my with my parts that are scared, yeah. that are angry, that are worried, right. yeah. threatened. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's the hardest thing I think. Right? We love these we love these beings so much, and we don't want anything to happen to them, and and so it can trigger all sorts of stuff and. You know, if, you know, I, I always think about this with kids too, like, yeah, sometimes we're just going to be totally blended and just go after them, right? And with IFS as a tool, you know, sometimes when we can get a little distance and go, oh my gosh, I was totally taken over by that part to go back and make a repair. That's the, that's the big thing, I think, um, I think that can help so much with kids and their parents. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't ever remember as a child, either one of my parents saying, Oh, geez, what I, I was wrong to do that. You know, I was left believing as my parts were left believing that everything that happened was because there was something wrong with me. Right. But if you go, if you can go back to your kids and say, I, I just want you to know I was taken over I, I apologize for that. I'm going to keep looking at that. And 
here, can we have a different conversation about that now? It's a very, very different thing. Yeah. 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 The parent actually is providing the witness and and the self-energy for the healing. Absolutely. You said something very, very positive about working with um, Mm -hmm. children that led me to a very recent um, Dick Schwartz. um, I'm going to quote him in his um, uh, recent second edition of uh, Internal Family System Therapy. And uh, we can read on on a little chapter on children and adolescents is saying, and I'd like to hear Mm -hmm. from you, how how do you relate to these that Dick is saying? He says... Children are often more receptive to the IFS model than adults because they are less socialized away from that multiplicity. When I, uh, Dick Schwartz, discovered that even young abused children have access to the self when their parts separate, I finally became convinced that the self exists fully formed in everyone and doesn't have to develop through a nurturing external relationship. This seems to, to me a very mm-hmm. courageous statement, a very strong statement. How, how does it, how do you relate to this? Yeah. Um, do you feel the same way? I do. I do feel the same way. You know, that's, that's been one of the original um, foundational beliefs of the model. I mean, Dick's been pretty much saying that for as long as I can remember, you know, that we're born with ourself and it's there. And um, we can have access to it. And if, if we're parented in a, in a way where, a good enough way, right, that our parts aren't, we're not, our parts are not so burdened, but mm-hmm. um, that the self can emerge, the self can emerge as the leader of the system. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, I I do agree with that. Yeah, it's it's such an optimistic and help and hopeful yeah. perspective. Yeah, that uh, yes is very 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 uh, encouraging for our everyday work with our with our adults that uh, yeah. and children. I was just going to say I was just thinking about that, and I never quite thought about it in that way. Like how. How encouraging it is! How hopeful that statement is. So, yeah, thank you. Yes, because we, we are used to these attachment perspectives. You know that uh, if you fail as in, in your bonding to and to the to your to your mother, if you are born in a, a foster house or right. you are lost, yeah. you are totally lost, and it's it's such a pessimistic yeah. and dark sad, view. Really, right? It's yeah, it's really sad, and it's so hopeful to see, to think and, and, and feel this way that Dick is suggesting us. Whether you find it when you're, when you're 10 or when you're 50, yeah. you know, to know that it's there and to know that people can eventually, through this work, find it. Yeah, yeah. It is really hopeful. It is hopeful. Yeah. With, with that optimism, yeah. <laughs> um, where do you see the, the evolution for the IFS model? Uh, where do you see it going or growing, growing edges, or where do you hope to see yeah. IFS go well, as it evolves? You know, um, it's growing into a lot of places right now. You, do you all know about the Foundation for Self-Leadership? 
which is a nonprofit organization that's affiliated with the Institute. Uh-huh. And I happen to be a, a board member of, on the foundation. And we are, uh-huh. there's a huge program now getting IFS into schools and helping teachers learn about IFS so that they can uh-huh. relate to their students in a very, very different way. So that's happening. There's also a big movement to get IFS out to like the lay population, you know, help people begin to learn about the model and even Mm -hmm. not, not to teach them the way that we teach them now, not to like help them unburden, but even just that awareness of parts that I was talking about and helping parts unblend and being able to speak for parts would be such a huge tool for folks. So that's also happening. And then it's a very ambitious goal. <laughs> yeah, IFS and coaching, you know, which can bring IFS more into the business community, and and also expanding into you know we're expanding the model into many many more underserved areas. You know, trainings are happening in um, inner city agencies. You know, in really rural agencies in the VA, you know, to try to work with folks with PTSD. So we're going a a lot of places. It's very exciting. And what about you, Pam, in the future, besides that you are coming to Lisbon? (laughs) I am. I'm so excited about that. (laughs) I can't wait. Um, You know, I I am starting to actually slow my private practice down a bit. Um. But I plan to keep on teaching. I I love teaching this model. As we were saying earlier, there's a little bit, of, I think, of an addictive quality to it. It just feels good, you know? It feels great to be with people who... Encounter. I mean, especially in this, in this day and age, to be with other people who think in a similar way and hope yeah. in a similar mm-hmm. way. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to continue doing that, so... Um, That's me in the future. <laughs> And maybe a level two, it sounds like, coming up. Coming up. I, I do level, I do the deepening and expanding level yeah. two, which Chris Burris and I created. And I love doing oh, that. That's a wonderful. really, really wonderful training. And hopefully getting them to do a, doing a children and adolescent one also. So, yeah. Well, thank you for all that you offer to the, to the IFS community and the the greater community at large. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. So, Pam, thank you so much for having us. Uh, we will meet the three of us. Teacher will be with us in Lisbon for our for your level I'm one in. training. <laughs> Yay! Yes. Oh, that's exciting! <laughs> she's, that's great she's PAing. Yeah, she will be assisting. It was a joy to be here with you and Tisha. And I hope we can keep meeting and sharing this model, our work, our lives. And um, how can listeners find, find out about more about your work? Well, they have just to go to your website, right? And, yeah, I don't actually the, have a website, but they can find out about me at the foundation web, website, selfleadership.org. Yeah, anything that I'm doing will, will show up on there. So thank you again. It was, it was a joy to be with you and Tisha. I, I feel the same way. Thanks for inviting me. It's been great being with you all. Yeah. Yeah, this is fun. Thank you so much. This was an IFS Talks episode. 
an audio series to deepen connections with the internal family systems model through conversations with lead trainers, authors, practitioners, and users.